Uh, these next three weeks, we are doing a series called More Than Conquerors, a, a conversation or a study through Romans 8. And some of you might ask, hey, why are we talking about Romans 8? What's the big deal about Romans 8? Well, let me tell you this. Theologian and pastor John Piper says that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Martin Luther said it's the clearest gospel of them all. William Tyndale, who was martyred for translating the Bible into English, said it's the most excellent part of the New Testament. A famous uh, biblical scholar, Douglas Moo, says it's the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. Romans 8 is Michelangelo's David, all right? It is Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. It is Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. It is Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 5. For you sci-fi geeks, it is Lucas's Empire Strikes Back, baby, all right? This is the mother of mothers. This is the chapter of chapters. This is where it is at. But sadly for you, you're not hearing it from the fine wines of Billy Graham or John Piper or even my dad. That's fine wine there. You're hearing it from me, cheap, light beer, okay? This is, this is like the Bud Ice version that you're getting here, all right? Um, I'm sorry, I just got back from New Orleans. It's just, uh, these are my illustrations that are just coming. But we're going to dig into this. And church, let me tell you, if you open up your heart to Romans 8, God will change your life. Any person who's ever opened up their life and their heart to Romans, God has ignited those people on fire to serve him for the rest of their days. And so I'm excited. I'm excited about this. So let me read Romans chapter 8. We're going to read chapters 1, or chapter 8, starting verse 1 through 13. Here we go. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for his sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, the church, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, God, I pray, Lord, that today and these next three weeks, that your spirit, God, could open up our hearts for us to see, to know, and to believe, God, that we are more than conquerors, that you have given us a weapon, God, to fight our battles, that you have declared victory on our lives, and that we can live victoriously in you. God, show us how to do that, Lord, these next three weeks. And God, just for today, Lord, I ask, God, that your spirit would fill this place, that your spirit would uh, give our hearts a sensitivity to hear what you want us to hear, to see what you want us to see, to do what you want us to do, God. And may you just speak through me, use my frail and fragile words, God, to make glory to you, God, for your glory and for our good. And so we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, church, we face many battles in our lives, do we not? We face uh, health battles. When we check the prayer lists or the prayer chain, there's always health battles going on. Scares with cancer, scares with diabetes. There's mental health battles we face with depression and anxiety. We have relational battles. We have battles within our marriages. We have battles with our parents. We have battles with our kids. We have battles with our coworkers. We have battles at the workplace. We feel the pressure to perform, to make the sales, to make the numbers, to turn the profits. We feel the pressure to make something of ourselves. There are many battles that we face. And yet, I believe the greatest battle that you and I face, it has nothing to do with what goes on outside of us. The greatest battle that you and I are facing and will continue to face is the battle on the inside. As Paul says in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. It is a battle of the mind. It is a battle of the heart. You see, there's this one lady um, named Jill Price, and her battle is like many of our battles. It's a battle of forgetting. Except she has a condition called hyperthymestic syndrome, which is automatic autobiographical recall of every day of her life from age of 14 on. Can you imagine that? So for example, she can recall uh, when she saw the last episode of MASH, okay? She said it was Monday, February 28th, 1983. She remembers that it was raining and that her windshield wipers broke during that time. I mean, it was just automatic recall. And you kind of think, oh, that'd be kind of cool, right? Like I could go on Jeopardy and make a lot of money. I could totally dominate at our family board games, right? But to her, it became a curse. And this is what she writes in her memoir, The Woman Who Can't Forget. She says this. Imagine being able to remember every fight you ever had with a friend. Every time someone let you down. All the stupid mistakes you've ever made the meanest, most harmful things you've ever said to people and those they've said to you. 
then imagine not being able to push them out of your mind no matter how hard you tried. As I grew up, more and more memories were stored in my brain and more and more of them flashed through my mind in an endless barrage and I became a prisoner to my own memory. Now you and I, we might not have supernatural memories, so to speak, but you and I can relate. You and I are prisoners to our own memory. And what I see is this, is that our failures and our regrets and our shortcomings and our insecurities, they haunt us like a ghost. They follow us around like a stormy, dark rain cloud, and they never go away. And you might have a little blip of just, hey, all is good, and then something triggers it again, and you're faced with the reality of that battle within, and you never feel good enough and you feel like a failure, and you feel weak, and you feel like you just can't live up to the expectations that you had for yourself or that other people had for you. And church, that might possibly be the greatest battle that you and I face. And the question is then this, is how do we win? How do we conquer it? How do we overcome How can we genuinely live a life that is guilt-free, where we are free from our past, where we're free from the sins that we're dealing with in the present, that we are able to actually obey and live out this life that God has called us to live? How can we actually live a conquered and victorious life? The first thing you need to know is this, is that Jesus has won your battle. Jesus has fought the battle that you could not fight, and he won. And Jesus has won. He has given you total victory over your sin. He has given you total victory over your sin. You are forgiven in Christ. You have a new start with Christ. You have a new heart with Christ. You have a new life with Christ. You have a new standing with Christ. You are now chosen and holy and loved in his eyes because Jesus Christ has fought the battle that you and I could not fight and win, and he won and he conquered. Paul says it loud and clear in verse 1. He says, in, uh, he says we have no condemnation. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Circle that word, um, no, okay? No condemnation. That word condemnation, it's a legal term. It means to experience, uh, to be judged, to be punished, to be treated and viewed as a criminal, as a felon. And that's what we experience. And yet, what does Paul say? He says there's no condemnation, right? And when we look at that word no, we usually view no as a negative term, right? We usually view no as as a bad thing. And you know, it's like you're a kid and you're like, mom and dad, can I have a candy? No, right? You get older, mom and dad, I need some money. No, you get married and you say, sweetheart, let's have a night of romance. No, right? No, And it's, and it's hard, right? And you view it as negative. But church, I want to tell you this. This is the greatest, most positive no you will ever see in Scripture. This is the greatest no of all time. Paul says it loud and clear. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment. 
There is no wrath. There is no punishment. There is no guilt. Put some like exclamation marks on that no, okay? It's the greatest no ever. And what does no mean? No means no, okay? No means no condemnation for your past. It means no condemnation and guilt for your present. And it means no condemnation and guilt for your future. Now, how on earth is that possible? Right? Is this just some fairy tale? Is this just some feel-good, get-well book that we're talking about? No. Paul says it's possible in verses 3 and 4. He explains how. This is what he says. Read it. Read it with me. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now I know that's kind of that's kind of complicated lingo right there, okay? Let me try to break this down. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen, we have a holy God. And because God is holy, he demands holiness from us. And if we want to be with God, we need to be holy. And so God lays out what holiness looks like through the law. The law is the Torah, okay? It's the first five books of the Old Testament. If you want to get real specific, think of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, all those things, right? And God says, this is the standard of perfection. You and I are dumb enough to think that we can achieve that. But God says in his word that the law was not meant to be used to save us. The law was meant to show us that we can't do it on our own. That we can't live a holy life on our own. And that's the bad news. But the good news is, is that God did something about it. And he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to do what we could not do, to live the life that we could not live. And then Jesus Christ died the death that we should have died, the punishment that the law demands for breaking it. He died that death that we should have died. He took that wrath so that we can stand before God and declare there is no condemnation for any of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is one of the greatest verses in all of scripture. This is one of the greatest verses that gets amens and hallelujahs. But let me tell you this, church. Most of our troubles that we have in our life are simply because we do not believe this verse. We don't. When you and I are alone, left to our thoughts, we don't believe it. You know, our counselor here on staff, John Clement, says the biggest problem that he sees in our church with the people that he meets is people's failures to love themselves. He says that's the greatest problem that I see is that people, we can't love ourselves. We feel condemned. We, we have this... I don't know, an improper, wrong view of God. And we think, okay, like if I, if I go to church today, God is happy with me. But then like he knew what I did when I was in college, so he must not be happy with me, right? And then he's like, oh, okay, but I sent my kid on a mission trip. He must be happy with me. But then it's like, oh, man, I just yelled at my wife. He must not be happy with me. And we go back and forth. It's like this whiplash, and we're exhausted. And we just have a hard time believing that we're not worthy in God's eyes. If you talk to counselors who, who work with uh, people, who, with addicts, they'll say this, that the, the core root of addiction is because people feel unworthy 
They feel condemned on the inside, and so what they do is they get some drug, they get some pill, they look at some image to, to, to make them feel good, to escape from that reality, and they get on this high, but once they come crashing down, they feel more unworthy than what they were at the beginning. Some of us here, we're, we just have this standard like, that we just know we can't live up to. I mean, some of us in here, we, we value beauty so much, right? And you're thinking, man, when I was in my, my teens and my 20s, like I had it going on, right? But now I look in the mirror and I look like George Pfizer, right? Like that's, that's what you feel like, right? I'm sorry, it's just, you know. Um, some of us, man, we had hopes and dreams, these expectations of a career, right? In our young, early 20s, we're like, man, I'm going to get this job. I'm going to work up this ladder. And then all of a sudden, you're just stuck at your job, living in the suburbs, driving a minivan, and you feel the condemnation coming from me, right? I mean, you just like, I can't live up to these expectations. But church, the good news is this. There is no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus, the Christian can never, will never, ever, ever, like Outcast says, forever, ever, be in a state of condemnation. I don't care if you walk in here and you are high or drunk off your mind right now. If you're in Christ Jesus, God looks at you as forgiven and loved and chosen. You might be in here in the midst of an affair but if you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus says you are, there's no condemnation. You are loved, holy, and chosen. You might be the most religious, Pharisee, right-wing, conservative, nut job, judging everybody. But if you are in Christ Jesus, let me tell you, God loves you just as much as anyone else. All right. That was supposed to be a little serious, but I like that you guys got laughs. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that's okay. God loves everyone. Okay. There's no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And if you have a hard time believing this verse, that's okay. We all do. But what I want to tell you is just lock the door in your room and get on your knees and say, God, I want to believe this. Help me to believe this. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to be free from this, and the Spirit of God will work. And so in order to fight this battle, the battle of the mind, the battle of the heart, the battle of the spiritual powers, we got to understand that. But the reason we lose this battle is simply because we don't want God to fight our battles for us. We want to fight our battles ourselves. And I want to give you all a reality check here. you got to stop it, all right? Stop fighting your battles by yourself because guess what? You cannot win if you fight it on your own. You can't win. Paul says it loud and clear that if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are living by the flesh, and if you are living by the flesh, you will lose this battle. Look at verse five. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, okay? Now, so when Paul is talking about a fleshly person, what that means is simply this. It's a person who's rejected God and wants to be their own savior. 
says, God, I don't like you. I don't want what you have to offer me. I don't want any of that. I'm rejecting you, and I'm going to fight my battles myself. I'm going to try to save myself. I'm going to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction myself. Or I might use you. Yeah, maybe I'll talk to you and pray to you a little bit, but I'm just going to use you in order to get what I want because I'm God. I'm in control. I can save myself. I can fight my own battles. But the problem with that view is this, is that you can't win that way. You're not going to win. Paul says this in verse cha- uh, chapter 8, verse 6. He says this. He says, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Did you circle that word death? For you to say that I'm going to be my own savior, I'm going to fight my own battles, that I can find my own fulfillment on my own, you are destined for death. When I got back from New Orleans, um, my wife was like, sweetheart, you know, like, I made you dinner, and she made me this great dinner, and I felt so loved by her. I was like, you're so awesome, and I sit down to start eating this burger that she made me, and she's like, all right, I'm going to pluck your gray hairs. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you, I just got back from dealing with teenagers. No, 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 no. So she gets the tweezers, and she just starts finding all these gray hairs from your kids. Thank you very much. And so, <laughs> seriously, um, so she starts plucking them, right? And then like after five or six, she's like, oh my gosh, David, you're, you're practically dead. Like, what? Like, Thank you very, I know some of y'all with more gray hair, you're like, oh, that is so mean. Um, but guys, listen up. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. The gray hairs, yeah, it might say you're wise, whatever, but those gray hairs are, is just, a, it's just, it's your body saying you ain't getting younger, okay? It's your body saying that you're just gonna get older and I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but you're all, we're all going to die, okay? Like, I, okay, we're going to die. And there's nothing you and I can do about it. And the reason is this, is because we've rejected God. We've said, God, I don't want you to be my Savior. I don't want to submit to you. And the, Paul says in Romans 3, says, for the wages of sin is death. And Paul goes on to say what a fleshly person looks like. In verses 7 and 8, I'll just sum this up. He says, a fleshly person can't be friends with God, can't obey God, and can't please God. He wants nothing to do with God. Now, when we think of a fleshly person, this is what we think of. Let me use New Orleans as an example. So we're in New Orleans. We take 26 students, and we're like a block. We're living a block from Bourbon Street, okay? Okay. Um, and so, yeah, what are all your godly teenagers want? I try to prep them up and say, we're on mission, we're here to serve God, we're here to love the poor, and what do they want to do? They want to walk on Bourbon Street, okay? And so I'm like, all right, fine, this is a battle, I know I can't win, so you're going to come with me. So I'm like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, let's get on Bourbon Street. I'm like, all right, everyone, eyes down, do not look up, right? Do not look up, don't look to the side. And then I'm like, kids, you smell that? You smell that urine, that alcohol, that feces mixed in with whatever that is in there? That's the smell of sin, okay? You smell that. Just take a big whiff of it, and that's what you're going to smell like if you don't love Jesus, right? Great teaching point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I was like, yeah. 
big whiff of this. And so the kids were like, it's the smell of sin. It's this, no, don't say that, right? These are people we're trying to minister to. But, uh, but when we think of fleshly people, man, that's who we think of. We think of the people on Bourbon Street who are drunk, who are high, who are just uh, moochers and just asking for handouts. And then we think of our life here in Frisco, Plano, Texas, and we say, God, I thank you I'm not like that person, Right? I thank you, God, that you have given me the ability to earn what I have been given. The reason I'm blessed that you have blessed me is because I worked hard, because I've been a good husband, a good wife, because I raised my kids the right way, and that's why I've been blessed, and I'm not a fleshly person like those people over there. But I want to tell you something, church. That attitude is just as depraved and just as lost and just as broken as that person on Bourbon Street. Because you are not worshiping God as your savior. You are using him in order to get what you want. There's a story that Tim Keller talks about in his book, Prodigal God. It's this uh, play called Amadeus. Some of you might have heard of it. And it talks about this main character named Antonio. And Antonio wants to be this famous composer. And so he makes this deal with God, and he says, God, if you help me to be famous, and if you make me the greatest composer of all time, if you make me immortal and that my music will last forever, I will be the best Christian. I'll read my Bible, I'll pray, I'll be pure, I'll give to the poor, I'll keep my hands off of women, I'll do what you want me to do if you just bless me. And so he makes this deal with God. And eventually, at the beginning... He gets some success, he gets some, you know, applause, accolades, but then all of a sudden this one guy, Mozart, shows up. And Mozart is better. Everything about him is better. He gets more fame, he gets more fortune, he gets more applause, his music is declared immortal, and Antonio can't handle it, and he yells at God, he says, God, I've been doing all the right things. And yet I haven't received any of the blessings. And here's Mozart, the guy who's getting all the fame, all the accolades, and he could care less about you. In fact, he rejoices over debauchery. And he tells God in the place, as from now on, you and I are enemies. See, church, most of us in here, that's us. We want to use God to get his blessings but we don't want him to be our savior. Jesus might be your buddy. He might be a good example. He might have some good things to say to you. But if you're using Jesus just for his blessings and he's not your savior, you're your own savior. And that's a battle that you and I cannot win. And you will not live a victorious, conquered life living that way. And so the question then becomes, is all right, I gotta reject that, right? I gotta get in Christ. I gotta understand that I, I'm not condemned. But let, let me tell you this. In order to live this, to win this battle, it's understanding that salvation is not just I'm forgiven, right? Not just I'm forgiven and now I'm called not to do like, you know, drink, smoke, chew, all that stuff. But it's also understanding that you're forgiven, but now you are empowered to be able to live the life that God has called you to live. 
See, God forgives you. He declares you are innocent. And then in order to empower you and equip you to actually fulfill the law, to obey him, he gives you a helper. He gives you a comforter. He gives you a weapon to live victoriously. And that weapon, church, is the Holy Spirit. That weapon is the Holy Spirit. And if you want to live a a victorious, more than conqueror lifestyle, you need to understand that I can't do this on my own. I can't fight this battle. You understand that in Christ you are forgiven, you are saved, and then you need to understand that Christ has given you his spirit as a weapon to live victoriously. Now, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I know if you're like me, um, you, you might get a little nervous because we see some crazy things on YouTube or maybe we've been to some churches where people are like, you know, holding up snakes and just, yes, you know, we're slain in the spirit, right? And we're like, oh gosh, like what is happening? I don't know if I can buy this. But the Holy Spirit, its main job is, is to fight for you. Its main job is to equip you in order for you to live a victorious life. This is how the Holy Spirit is a weapon. First off, the Holy Spirit is a weapon because it gives you a new mind. It gives you a new mind. Look again at verse uh, five. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is, hey, when you're outside of Christ, you don't have the mind of Christ. You don't value Christ. You don't, you don't cherish Christ. Like I remember when I was a senior pastor of a small church, um, there's this guy named Cecil, and he would come in from the streets, and oftentimes he was homeless, and he'd walk into like almost the front pew, and during worship, he's like going at it, right? He's like, amen, you know, hallelujah. But right when I got to, to preach, he would lay back in his pew and just snore, like, right? Like, I'm like, guys, I love this church. You just hear snoring, you know? Um, and I remember a buddy of mine was like, Pfizer, don't get discouraged, man. If, even if Billy Graham or John Piper was preaching, this guy would still be asleep. And that's the reality. It's the same thing for those who are outside of Christ. You're just not kind of, you're just asleep to the things of God. But when you're in Christ, he gives you a spirit. He gives you a mind to mind the things of the spirit. To mind, it just means to be captivated. To, to cherish, to, to be blown away by, to be enthralled by the beauty. You know, I love that, that hymn, like when I survey the wonderful cross. Maybe some of you know that hymn. And then that word survey, it's not like I'm not gonna glance at it, but I'm gonna bask. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just look and gaze upon the beauty. You know, the, the beautiful thing about the Spirit is that it can just warm your heart to the things of God. I, the only way I can, I guess, describe this is just sharing with you my life. I remember like when I was in seventh grade, some of y'all remember Steve Lucas, my youth pastor, and he just opened up his Bible and started teaching. And it was like, it was just like the light bulb went off. And I just, it, I just wanted more and more. I was so enthralled by it. I, I remember in college, going to Denton Bible Church when I was going to UNT, listening to good old Tommy Nelson. And the way Tommy Nelson would just go verse by verse in Romans and Corinthians, any book, it just blew me away. And I was just like, I gotta have more and more of this stuff, right? It's like this is this treasure that I just, I can't get enough of. And when I was in seminary, 
Someone gave me this book, uh, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And for me, I'd always been like sympathetic to the older brother. Some of y'all might remember that story. Remember, it's like the prodigal son. He blows off his father's riches, parties in Vegas. He comes back. The father, he like forgives him. And there's the older brother. And he's just like bitter and angry that the younger brother had been shown grace, right? And to me, I'd always been sympathetic to the older brother. It's like, this guy deserved to be, like he deserved the party, not the younger brother. And then I learned Keller was like, no, you're, you're like Antonio. You're like the guy from Amadeus. You're using God to get what you want. And yet Christ still is relentlessly pursuing you. And I remember hearing that message and I would just listen to as many Tim Keller sermons as I could on road trips in my free time. And the way that he described Jesus, man, it just made Jesus so beautiful to me. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do is it can warm your heart and stir your affections for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's the weapon. It starts with the mind. And then the Spirit gives us more weapons. He, he, he gives us life and peace. He gives us life and peace. Look at verse 6 again. It says, For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That word life it's a Greek word is zoe. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like eternal life, like I'm going to give you a life in heaven. It means that, but it means so much more. It means that the Spirit of God can give you a full and rich life now. What I love when I take students on New Orleans is they kind of they drink that a little bit. They kind of taste that life a little bit. Because here we are for a week, United in our mission, serving God, advancing his kingdom, worshiping God together. And the kids always come back with this taste of understanding, oh my gosh, I've spent a week giving my life away, and yet I find my life so much more blessed, so much more full, so much more satisfying as I give my life away. That's what the Spirit of God can do in your life. He can give you that type of life, that richness. And even some of you in here, you're like, man, I've made mistakes and I, I'm in Christ, but I've like ventured off, right? I've ventured off this path and I, I know I've done things I shouldn't have done that aren't God honoring. I, I wanna read you this quote and I wanna give you some hope because no matter how far you off, off, how far off you are from God, you're still his and you still have life. A pastor by, uh, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, says this quote. I love it. He says, the man who's trying to be a Christian is trying to hold on to something. But the man who is a Christian feels that he's being held by something. It's been put into him. It's there. It may even seem to be there in spite of him, but it's there. And it's not what he is doing that matters to him, but it's what has been done to him. It's what has become. It's the awareness of power within him. And I want you to know, no matter how far off you are, but you're in Christ, but you're far off, the spirit is still working inside of you, knowing that you are his and saying, I'm not gonna let you go. You're in my grip forever. That's life and when you experience that life, what happens is you get peace. See, the Christian life is like a hurricane. 
It's really like a hurricane. God never promises an easy road. He promises suffering. He promises trials. He promises hardship. But our life is like a hurricane and says, at the eye of the hurricane, the eye of the storm, there's always peace. There's always serenity. There's always calmness. And I've always, you know, kind of envied that in people, right? Like, you know, those people who are like, no matter what's going on, they just have this kind of consistency and peace about them. They're just like these anchors in the storm. You know, I feel like most of us, we're, we kind of act like, uh, uh, you guys remember that Easter egg hunt that we did about a year ago? <laughs> I feel like most of us are kind of like that in the storm, right? Like, I remember uh, I was kind of like walking around, just observing, and, uh, and I remember like they dropped the eggs, right, for like the five-year-olds, and it's just like chaos. And then I see this like 18, 19-year-old guy come out, after, and, he said, and he just yells at the top of his lungs. He's like, these people are idiots. I didn't get any bleep Easter eggs, right? And I was like, bro. If you had the spirit of Christ, you would, you would understand that there's like a CVS just down the street, man. You know, it's all good, you know. But that's kind of how we are. We're like tossed to and fro from the storm because we didn't get our Easter eggs, right? But the spirit of Christ anchors us. <laughs> Such a ridiculous analogy, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. We might do it again in a few years. You never know. Okay. Um, I really want to use that in like every sermon I do because I think it's such good material. Um, but the Spirit of God, church, it anchors us. It gives us that peace in the midst of the storm. And then lastly, the Spirit of God is a weapon used to give you freedom from your sinful habits. I want you guys, uh, let's read this, verse 11. We're going to 11 through 13 here. Paul says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Christ, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Church, I want you to know that you can change. So many of us in here have accepted defeat already. So many of us in here have just said, you know what, I'm always struggled with lust and this is just my life. I'm just always gonna be struggling with lust. Some of you are like, man, I've always been struggling with drinking. This is just my life. I'm always going to be drinking. Some of you are like, I've always had a temper problem. This is just my life. This is just how it is. And Paul says that's a bunch of nonsense. He has given you a weapon to overcome, to put to death the sinful deeds of the body. To put to death means to wage war on to declare war, to fight with, against all odds, to, to go all out in order to defeat the enemy. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can give you the power to overcome and give you the power to change. Church, the same Spirit that gave Jesus the power to give the blind men to see is in you. 
The same spirit that allowed Jesus to allow, allow the lame to walk is in you. The same spirit that allowed Jesus to walk on water and to cast out demons is inside of you. And the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave, that defeated death, church, that same spirit is inside of you. You can change. You can win. You can overcome. You have the power and the ability, and God says, I've given you my spirit to fight. And I just think of this, when I think of fighting, I just, it's, it's not a matter of like white knuckling it. It's like when God told Moses, Moses, I want you to part the Red Sea. All you need to do is just stand still and watch and trust me. And if you just say, God, I can't do this, but I'm just gonna stand here and trust you day in and day out, you will see victory you will overcome. You want to know why? Because the greatest thing that the Holy Spirit does, more than helping us defeat our vices, is the, the Holy Spirit will remind us of the gospel. What, what do I mean by that? Well, we have to kind of jump to John chapter 15 for a second. Um, but this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the helper comes, whom I send, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. See, the chief role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of Jesus. It's to remind you of the gospel. You know, that word gospel, it means good news. To be an evangelist means to share good news. And the context that that comes from is when a country would go out to battle, would go out to war, when they won the battle, when the war was over, they would send an evangelist. They would send a messenger to go back to the homeland and declare the good news that the victory has been won, that the enemy has been defeated, and that there now is peace. Can you imagine living in that town and hearing that message? That the war is over, the war has been won, our enemies are defeated. Man, you would have so much joy. You would have so much peace. You would be carefree. You'd be laughing. You'd be dancing. You'd be singing. You'd be partying. You wouldn't have a care in the world because you know that the battle has been won. And the Holy Spirit Church is that messenger in your heart that stirs in your heart and reminds you that Jesus has conquered, that he has defeated death, that he has defeated sin, and that you are more than a conqueror because you are in Christ, because he conquered our ultimate foe, sin and death itself. And so what's your battle? Some of us are, are scared, we, we struggle with fear. And we're like, man, I just wish I could be courageous, but I can't. And what the Spirit of God will do will stir in your heart and say, remember Jesus. He has conquered. See his courage. See his courage as he storms the gates of hell to bring us into the gates of heaven. See him overcome. And when you see Jesus being courageous for you, you can have courage in the battles that you face. Some of us are just gripped with, with fear and anxiety and we're, we're so scared of the future. We're so scared of just the uncertain times ahead. But then the Spirit of God 
will stir in your heart and will say, remember Jesus, that on that cross he provided for you. He took care of his biggest need, of our biggest need, which was salvation. And if he took care of our biggest need, then won't he take care of the lesser ones too? Some of us in here are fighting disease and we have been given, a, uh, it's been terminal, right? We know that we're, the end is near and there's fear, but the Spirit of God will stir in your heart and says, remember Jesus. Paul says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? But thanks be to Jesus Christ who has provided victory over us all. Those who are in Christ have died to Christ, will be raised with Christ, and will be glorified with Christ. And so death does not need to be feared. It just needs to be known that it is just simply a means to something greater. Some of you are, are weary because the relationships and the conflicts never go away and you're so ready to give up that the Spirit of God will stir in your heart and say, look at Jesus. He didn't give up. He stayed the course. And on that cross, he stayed. Not because we were lovely, but rather to make us lovely. And when you see Jesus staying the course, then you can stay too. You guys see the power? You guys see our weapon? Church, you can live a victorious life. You can live a life that can overcome the vices and the sinful habits. You can change because Jesus Christ has died for your sins and therefore declares you not guilty and has given you a spirit to fight the battles that we could not win on our own. And if you're in here today and this is the first time you've heard this or you've been battling with this, let me tell you something. The greatest thing you can do is just simply submit and humble yourself and say, God, I'm done fighting my battles. Be my warrior, be my champion, be my savior, and give me your spirit so that I can fight this battle alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ. You can do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I pray, God, that we would believe, God, Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, that your spirit would stir that truth in our hearts. And God, I know that it's not just a one-time thing, God, that it's a struggle. We struggle, God, in the midst of our solitude, in the times of silence, we hear the lies, God. We, we feel the guilt. We hear the condemnation, God. We hear the accusations. We hear the accuser, God. And it's so easy, God, because we're weak and we're frail to believe those lies. But God, through your spirit, would you strengthen us, God? To know, Lord, that we have overcome, that we have conquered, not because we're good enough, but because you're good enough and we're with you. And Lord Jesus, I pray, God, I pray if there's anyone in here, Lord, who's been running from you, who's had nothing to do with you, God, but they're tired, they're weary, 
God, would they cry out right now? Would they admit that they are broken? Would they admit that they can't fight on their own anymore? And would they believe with their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior? And would they commit to you today? And if you want to do that, if you've done that, or if you need help doing that, as you write it on a connection card, give us your information. Come find me in the connection room in the back of the sanctuary. We'd love, love, love to talk to you and point you to the hope that we have in Christ. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are beautiful. You have given us no condemnation. You have helped us overcome, God. And we thank you and we praise you, God. May we today go out and be mindful of the Spirit and rely on the Spirit to overcome the battles that we will face. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.